Welcome to You Never Forget Your First, the podcast about directors' first films, in which we actually have a director talking about their first film on this very episode in Spider Dabrowski's Spiral. Spider is a writer-director from LA who's recently released his debut film Spiral on YouTube in July of this year. The film harks back to the low-budget filmmaking of the late 1990s, featuring a black-and-white aesthetic and a claustrophobic narrative, akin to films such as Christopher Nolan's Following or Darren Aronofsky's Pie, whilst also bringing some new insights for today's audience. It's clear that Spider is a through-and-through filmmaker, constructing a script that was actually possible to make, shooting the whole film virtually by himself, run and gun, and always making sure that the story was front and center. It's no surprise that me, Benas, and Sparrow had a great time watching this, and so it is, indeed, a massive recommend from us. We'll be linking Spiral to watch in our social channels, which are at YNFYFpod on Instagram and Twitter, or you can search Spiral-Movie on YouTube, where you can find it uploaded from Spider's own account. So the next thing you'll hear is the interview, and hope that you enjoy it. Spider Dobrovsky. Yep, you nailed it. Thanks so much for coming on on the pod. Obviously, uh, Ben has tracked you down on Twitter, and Twitter we uh, you got me, man. And we found your film, um, which we all loved, by the way. Thank you, uh, guys. I have to say, we all really enjoyed it. I appreciate that. Everyone has sent me a ton of questions, which is great. Yeah. And I'm conscious that we have loads to get through, but um, <laughs> we and we've just been chatting as well. We uh, we've been chatting about Tarkovsky cinemas. I feel like we could have carried on chatting about all of that for for quite a while. Forever, man. Forever, um, you know. But you just told us that you're so you're half Russian. Yeah, I'm actually full Russian, but I'm really not. You know, I don't speak anything. It just you know, it's that's the uh, I've got a really Russian last name, so it, people assume yeah. like I'm, okay, that right. I'm really Russian. I'm like, no, nah, I'm. Man, I, I grew up in uh, in Santa Monica, LA. Man, I'm a surfer, dude. You know. <laughs> so, have you, have you ever have you ever been then? No, I haven't. I haven't. That's interesting. It's it's actually one of my like top places to go in the world. I'd like to. I'd like to, man. I, you know, it's funny with with everything that's happened in our world. It really made me realize how badly I want to travel and see different areas. You know, especially I always figured that I was gonna wait to like. I was making a movie and, you know, in, in that one of those spots. And I was like, you know what? You could just go anyways and have a good time. Mm, and yeah, especially with like, our, you know, I always wondered like with our new little like small cameras and DSLRs and how good they are for shooting. Like you can almost go somewhere and like gorilla shoot a oh, film, yeah, you know, time. at least a short, like just like go, go for a couple of weeks. And like, you know, what I've found about LA is that we have the worst scenery. We have the <laughs> worst. It sucks. Like it's so hard to make things cinematic unless, you know, you have like, like I'd feel like Nightcrawler. You guys yeah, see yeah, that movie? Yeah, yeah, we did that on like, the podcast. Oh no! Yeah, like that movie to me is like the most cinematic version of LA or like right. Drive. I think Drive was was that supposed to be in LA too? I, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. But those those films are like they make LA like this mysterious, like fun adventure. And it's really not, you know, it's not like that. You know, it's not, you know, it's it's just a city. Even right now, it sounds like, it sounds like London, although when, by the time this comes out, who knows what, what the UK will be doing, but it sounds like we're, we're slightly ahead of you with the cinema screening. You guys are. We went to go see Tenet, Benas and I. Yeah, we We saw it at the IMAX. you saw it. It's like, it's the biggest IMAX screen in Europe, I think. So it's like, it was a good experience. Man, it was having masks. Yeah. I don't know, until... By the time we were in seats, I forgot COVID existed. I was like, yo, it's a film. I want to see it. The only time I remembered it was about halfway through the film when I needed I needed to go to the bathroom because I was chugging beers. And they were like, oh, put on the mask. <laughs> so I was like, oh, shit, yeah, of course, COVID. 
other than that it was fine it sounds a little hard to like relax you know like I, at least for me and especially the nolan film man like i would want to be like you know hearing every line and you just you got that thing where you hear a cough now you know like someone coughing just makes you fucking turn and <laughs> yeah, shit yeah, you yeah. know <laughs> did you guys like it we did. yeah we we came out and um, have you seen it perplexed I haven't seen it. I, you know, I haven't, I haven't gotten to it, you know, in, in LA things are way too weird to go to the theaters that are open and shit. It's just kind of like, it sounds like it's a different experience though. We don't have our shit down here. So it's, <laughs> it's, uh, and I won't see it. I won't see his movie. Like if it go, comes to video, like I won't see it then. So I'm like, I really hope they find a way to like really prolong, you know, keeping it in theaters. Yeah. Sure. You know, I think they are. And there's a lack of, there's a lack of new films out so because everyone's yeah, kind of yeah. waiting even mulan got put down to video nolan so. does those movies too where it's like you don't want that first experience being on tv you just don't <laughs> no, like yeah. some movies you really can't like i really think some movies play well on like netflix original movies and i'm like wow this is great at home on a nice tv but it's like nolan tarantino those guys like darren Aronofsky, like you gotta be in theaters because they're like sound design even the way they have like surround it's just like next level and, and it, the experience you can then watch it later like second time third time on tv because you had that like first imprint sure? but yeah. if you miss that first time you know you don't want to be watching that on an apple watch or something yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're massive nolan fans as it sounds like you might be as well yeah man interstellar is like probably my favorite film right uh, we watched it only two weeks ago and uh, with someone who hadn't seen it and they were in tears at the end of it yeah. and i was like yes that's cry. emotion you're crossing off yeah. just cry do it yeah. but you know what's so funny it's it's one of those movies that has a big divide like my neighbor um, I'll just burn her. Like she basically like when, when the movie came out, I was like telling everyone like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. Like I came out and I looked up to the stars and she's like, you know, I thought the CGI sucked. And I was just like, okay, like what? you could shoot on a million things, but you're not going to shoot on the fucking CGI. And like most of it was practical too, you know, was, I was going to say, yeah, be like, there is no CGI to shit on. <laughs> he actually went there. A lot of times when it comes down to Lo Nolan, uh, a lot of people kind of grasp at straws what to complain about. Mm -hmm. So it becomes like, oh, uh, sound was a little too loud for me. Like the, the jet fuels of a fucking rocket ship were too, too loud for me. I'm like, that's <laughs> what it should sound like. It should burn your ear, ears off, Sorry, you know? The, the best one is when he is when he did Dunkirk and he showed it at the, at the B BFI IMAX, which is where oh, we wow, saw yeah. Tenet. Massive screen. And these Dunkirk veterans were there and they came out of the cinema and they were like, it wasn't that loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's it's good. Like, I prefer loud over like, I've been to a couple theater experiences where it was like too low and there, and that drives oh, me that. crazy because you're like, yeah. God, I'm not getting immersed enough. And, and you know, it's that I'd rather it too loud where you're like, there's certain sequences where like, fuck, it's a little, little intense, but like, you know, for overall the dialogue and shit and like the majority of a movie other than the action sequences are okay. If it's a little too loud, but on that under yeah. volume, oh my God, that is the worst. Cause you just don't even get into the film. You know, I can only imagine like, you know, the filmmaker can't like design go to every theater and test out every basically, you know, how their sound system is. And sometimes they just miss by a little bit. And that one miss can just lead to a bunch of people and especially if it's early on and like you're you're a critic or something all of a sudden you have all these people who just didn't like the movie they don't really know why but really they just never got like sucked in you know it's like it's like a having a bad watch you know i, I was talking to my brother actually we were talking about tarkovsky i watched stalker in college and i fucking hated it I thought it was the most boring movie. I didn't get it. I thought it was just like, I didn't understand it at all. And I, I, and I was forced to watch it for, for a film school class. And I just was like, this sucks. 
And like the second, I, because the way they presented it and the way they were like, you know, you need to, we're watching this movie for sound design was the, like the way in. And it was like such a boring entry point into watching a movie instead of like, this is one of the greatest like emotional sci-fi. I was like, this is for sound design. And I was like, you know, <laughs> and I, I recently rewatched it during like quarantine and shit. I was like, this is my favorite fucking film ever. You know, I missed it. I missed it completely from a bad entry point into the film. So it's it's pretty crazy. So much of Tarkovsky's like that, I feel. You kind of watch it once and you're like, oh man, that maybe flew over my head. And then you watch it again and you're like, Absolutely. this is amazing. This yeah. has got like so much it's to it. It's your frame. It's like your frame in. And like, if you're in like a bad mood or a weird a weird zone or like distracted and, and you got like, and I found that with like the great filmmakers like Kubrick and Tarkovsky. If you're like not ready to like, watch the movie and you don't have like the energy yeah. level and like because they require so much thought they have these like long drawn out sequences of people just talking philosophy and it's like one line comes back in later and then that line's like oh my god it's the fucking plant the zoom in on the it's plant like in solaris line, yeah. you're like fuck <laughs> you know? yeah. and if you miss it you just miss the the whole experience which is why i feel like watching in theaters was so crucial because you can't have a phone you're you're just you're stuck in there you know and i'm gonna say that's why that's why netflix is winning uh as of the last 10 years because yeah people kind of watch it when they're in bed they're not they're not For prepped sure. to you know go to an experience of like two hours or whatever that may be and they're like in bed you know i'll pass out before the film's out <laughs> so you know <laughs> whatever you're still, you're still even watching yeah exactly yeah, right when you get asked that you're like okay I'm in, whereas I'm in certain films need to be watched in the theater because they require a certain level of attention you know whether it's small or big it still needs you, you still need to follow the dialogue and the narrative you know some films are written over you know long long estimates of time 10 years or whatever and then you know for someone to watch it on the tv screen and pass out midway or three quarters away you know you're like oh for fuck's sake so you know that's why you know i'm, I'm super jealous that you guys could go see tenant you know we just have it in a couple of weird theaters and it's just two there's not enough theaters open that it makes it like wow like people are really going to be squeezed in there and it's the only one where i'm like oh no one's doing a sci-fi film again like fuck this is that's the only movie that i'd be like shit I want to see the James Bond movie too. Like I love Daniel Craig as James Bond, man. Like they decided to not do what Tenet did and like just kind of push and, and see if things clear up or a vaccine comes in, you know? And um, yeah, it's so hard. I, I get it too. Like I, it's such a tough spot to be, to be the production house of a $200 million movie where it's like, you cannot have a week opening weekend. You know what I mean? You can't do it. Like you're, it's not like, you know, Hey, look, if you're making a $5 million horror movie, it's like, you could effectively yeah, yeah, have a yeah. week opening and you could uh, make your money back through Apple, things like that, you know, a, a even a Netflix release, you know. But with a $200 million movie, you cannot afford to uh, just throw, you know, abandoned ship on it because, I mean, we're talking about so many investors putting so much money in and, and um, you know, they're trying to see pr uh, profits, you know. So to just kind of like, put it out there and be like, Oh, you know, we, we had like a $15 million opening weekend. It's like, Hey, fuck. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, we just lost like so much money, you know, it's tough. It's a tough situation. I was going to ask, do you know, has it affected any kind of production or filmmaking in Los Angeles for, for anyone? Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, um, some people, you know, I've got a, you know, a couple, a couple people I know who are, um, having movies like shot in like Ireland and stuff. And, um, you know, 
my, my parents are actually screenwriters and they're, they're having a big oh, wow. movie getting, getting made for Netflix. And, um, but again, like these were things that had traction long before yeah, yeah, yeah. And, be and things were stalled so much. And these are things that had like these, like big talent attached and everything. And they just, they had to cough up like uh, quite a bit more money in order to make it happen. So, yeah. you know, the people who had like hard, die hard, like indie films, they just lost, they, they lost because you, you you know, you can't, you can't make a $2 million movie. It's like, Hey, we need like three and a half million now just to like make this movie safely. It's like, well, that's our whole, that's our like double our budget, you know? And, and so those films just fell apart. And then, you know, you've got people trying to do the like absolute bare minimum movies too, but you still have like health and, and safety. It's, it's, it's so tough, you know, it's very tough for all creators who, um, you know, I feel really bad for the filmmakers who like, got into like some of the big film festivals and it was like south by southwest was like online and just kills your, your yeah, movie. Big time. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah and you yeah, you so put true. a movie into a vacuum and, and you know in many ways like for for young filmmakers who like didn't get their shot yet it was like hey you know what you're kind of lucky you didn't get your first big break in this last year or you would have put a movie out into the void and and you know what like what i've learned is that if you put a movie out at the wrong time Absolutely. it doesn't matter if it's good it just gets overlooked because there's too much content these yeah. days it's like what you were saying earlier though is um the out coming out of this period there'll be a lot of people a lot of good scripts hopefully a lot of people have been writing yeah a lot of people have been kind of just like doing that thing they've been putting off they've now had like six months to do it right so maybe there'll be an explosion for sure in the next few years well the other side of that is uh so the people that you know uh had to go to Southside online or virtual whatever it is right so a lot of those filmmakers what they rely on at those festivals is the networking aspect which is what yep a lot of filmmaking is it's a collaborative effort right so what that's what they lose on they don't lose on you know maybe their film yeah. being overlooked or whatever but what they lose on is their next thing and potentially a career yeah. in filmmaking because the career yeah, absolutely because yeah. essentially you don't want to put like a film out and that's it you what you want is a some sort of longevity <laughs> and you know yeah. a career going on and you know step by yeah, step making a film's like what a quarter of the the journey i'm sure exactly it's like so, <laughs> you, you got to be in the long game for it I'd argue too that the really interesting thing I've seen with the great filmmakers is often we go back and look at their early films and be like, wow, those are so great. But they actually had to make their mainstream hit in order for them to become big enough that we all then look backwards. And so to lose traction, like there's nothing wrong with having an early film that didn't get as much exposure as you wanted it, as long as you're still making movies. Because, all, you know, I look at like, um, like Darren Aronofsky, right? Black Swan is what put him on the map yeah, for yeah, like mainstream people. Yeah. Like most people are like, whoa. Cause for some reason, all of a sudden, like you got chicks wearing those black swan outfits. Like it, it hit that like Halloween. zeitgeist <laughs> thing that became like, yeah, it became like a, a Halloween thing, you know? And, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh wow. Like Requiem for a Dream is so great and, and pie. And it's like, well, when those movies came out, like they just barely, you know, they barely made their budget and a little bit yeah. more. And and while they were well received by that niche community, like most people in the world had no idea. Absolutely. You know, yeah, that's a good point. And so you need that ongoing career to keep going to basically make that hit. And then all of a sudden, every film you've made is part yeah. of this great collective library that people want to see. But if you don't get there, you don't make it there because of, you know, like not getting that, that exposure or that networking that comes from having a, you know, being that fucking brave soul who found a way to make their movie. And it's like this coronavirus hits. And then people are like, I'm sorry, I'm going to care more about my like safety than your, your movie, even if it's fucking great. Yeah. And it's like, wow, 
well, now I'm now you're starting back from the beginning, but you you have that little bit of that doubt in your mind of like, God, do I have to do this all over yeah, again? Yeah, 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 and yeah. and fuck yeah, you fucking do. You know? <laughs> Sorry, son. <laughs> Speaking of uh, of movies and first movies, I guess so. Spiral is your debut, your debut film, yeah, and yeah, it is. You're from what I understand, you're you're a writer director, but you you seem like you're quite a big writer as well. Uh, I actually, you know, I, I, I was lucky enough. I sold my first movie. I'm like 28 now. At, at 23, I had a, a like a big TV movie air. It was this network called Up. And it starred Amber Amber Riley from Glee. And it was this like kind of big Christmas movie. Wow. Um, what was it called? It was called My One Christmas Wish. That was, by the way, not the title that I sold. But um, <laughs> you, you know how the TV movie networks know what their their audience. And, and you know yeah. what? Like they were right too. Because it, it it like broke the network ratings, and I and I would have never guessed, you know, based off you know a lot of things like marketing are, you know, like to me, it's like as long as they keep the soul, of the story, and the screenplay, you know what, let let them market how they want to market and how they think they'll get the most eyes. I think that's a really effective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a writer and a filmmaker. I'm not in advertising, so a lot of times, like my ideas for marketing are are fucking off. Truthfully, you know, <laughs> they're like too too artistic or too heavy or whatever. Um, but it was a really cool, uh, true story about this girl who found a family off Craigslist. Um, and she was an orphan her whole life. And, um, there was a big article and I basically got, uh, I, I adapted it into a screenplay and, and it was awesome. made into like a couple, couple million dollar movie. And it turned out really great. And, uh, I, they shot it up in Canada and I flew out and it was the time of my life, man. It was awesome. So you, when people discover your back catalog, they're going to discover your Christmas this. movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I love that too. Like my, my buddies joke on me too because they're like, dude, you're so not a Christmas movie guy. <laughs> I'm like, I, I know. And I've got like a Mother's Day movie under my belt too, like for Hallmark. So it's funny. Like I just have like a really random. I was about to yeah, say. Yeah. And then you guys see you see spiral and it's like what the fuck like chris yeah that's it, that's <laughs> that, it. Yeah. that looks for... like a hallmark poster obviously it's up yeah it's but, super yeah. hallmark it's on hallmark now too yeah and and she did an amazing job and she was awesome and and you know they really like they really um what i loved was it was a really heavy story i mean it's an orphan girl yeah, i was gonna like, say it sounds yeah, heavy, it yeah. looks nothing like that poster by but, the way. <laughs> yeah, no it's, it's not it's not it and you'll see like you can read through the reviews and people are like i was expecting something else and this thing was like emotional and like i want them make more movies like this and it was like uh they really kept the spirit and i think because it was the true story they were like we really can't we can't lose this and you know there's still like some fun christmas banter and christmas set pieces and all that you know you know we still want to yeah. watch a christmas yeah, movie. Yeah, we want yeah. that like experience you know but it's wild to me you know you, you never want to underestimate your audience and can you find a way to like sell sell it big and make it big and commercial and fun but also can you keep the soul of of whatever that story was and to me that's like what the great filmmakers like nolan does so well you know like we were talking about interstellar like that's such a smart movie where you've got like sequences of them like explaining how black yeah, yeah. hole and like yeah. relativity like work right and then it's but it's also it's also there's like a chase through the cornfield is going on while it's doing it so it's not just like exposition and, and so can you find a way to make serious intelligent content also a, a good time so two people go see it one person says, oh, Inception was so sick, bro. It was like, you know, slow motion fight scenes. And then someone else was like, wow, what a dark movie about a guy who like, whose wife killed herself. And it's like, you know, <laughs> like, has depression. Yeah, you know, the multiple <laughs> levels that stuff works on is great. The way it can be so blockbuster kind of on the surface. And then if you want to dive deep in the, you know, you can. And that sounds like in a way what the Christmas film. They uh, did, yeah. Was. Just a quick question on this writing aspect how how did you go about s selling the selling the 
not the Hallmark film, but your first screenplay, basically, for the TV, TV Yeah, movie. you know, um, it was it was done through, uh, effectively, and it's what I always tell people like who follow me on Twitter. It's like, I had pitched on a couple of things just from my agent, and, and this producer basically came back around and was like, we have this property, this real story, and no one's cracked it, and uh, you want to you give it a shot. What I did was they had a treatment, and I, and, I, and I tell people all the time, it's like, it's really hard to go for it, but the treatment I found was told the wrong way. They told the story the wrong way. And so I made a major, major change, like a complete chronological was in chronological time. And I was like, you know, I really think that this movie should be just told in this period of time. And we can find creative ways to go back and tell these moments of her life. Um, but not to do this chronological every, you know, getting older. I said, also, that's going to cost you a lot of money. You got to get seven different actors to, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. her at 13, her at five, her, you know, so that I made a big change on the treatment and they just loved it. And I got hired right away and, and I was just writing and, and, um, you so know. even prior to this, you already had an agent, right? Yeah. Yeah. I got, um, I got signed by, in, by an agent in college and, um, it's funny too. Like I, this first script I wrote, we actually just right before COVID, um, they got like, uh, basically some traction and, and Tobin Bell from saw, is that mouth attached to, mouth. to play yeah mouth to mouth um and ever you know everything's been on pause a little bit because it is an indie comedy but you know we're, we're getting <laughs> momentum going again but you know that was the first screenplay that i wrote at 22 is that when you're gonna direct um i don't think so you know i, I i'm certain i'm sure i could put my name in, in the hat but i i feel as though my my skills on are just not quite right for what it needs to be and it's really like a summer comedy in american pie and, and i think there's a don't get those anymore. there's a good director out there for it and um yeah, that's what I, you know, I wrote it when, you know, you know, it was like 2004, this was 2014. So I think American Reunion had just come out and like, it was just that great era of like Judd Apatow comedies. And we actually did, we did American Pie on the pod and we talked around some of the, the fact that those types of films just don't, wouldn't get made anymore. Massively Gosh. exist anymore. Yeah. It'd be so it's, hard. It's crazy, them. you know, cause I, I really think that they're so fucking funny. Like, to me, that's what a funny comedy is. And it's ones that are like a big larger than life concept, but with like grounded characters but then still extreme extreme scenarios and yeah um, absolutely yeah and like american pie american pie which is mostly like nostalgic it feels like something we all live through and, and um, <laughs> yeah, yeah weirdly weirdly we all shared that experience <laughs> we all uh no, we all got an apple pie no so. yeah <laughs> but uh they do it and they make those moments and so that was the design with mouth to mouth and and that's what you know what we're keeping with it you know as we go on um but you know what i've what i've found is like i've written like now maybe 19 or 22 screenplays like on spec and i've ghostwritten like maybe three or four and i've probably written like 70 treatments for companies and things that like didn't happen and, and you 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 find that like getting into the mix is so much about like seizing opportunities and while you're seizing those opportunities like to also work on shit you're really passionate about and that's why you know i made spirals i was like hey look like I'd love to write more Christmas movies. I'd love to take any jobs I can get, you know, because being a working writer is rare and awesome and, and I'm grateful, but I also need to do what I need to do as a, as a creative. And I was like, I gotta, you know, I directed like maybe six short films and, you know, some short film festivals here and there, but I had never really felt like I pulled off what I really wanted to yeah, do. Right. And, and a lot of that I was from, I made horrible mistakes with casting in my, all my other shorts is that I always cast based off convenience people I knew I could get easily, you know, just 
you know, this thing where it's like, ah, you know what? It's easier to just work with this person because I know them. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah. And and sometimes those people are right for your roles. Who's really right for this and who brings something different to the character, not who just brings it to life. And, and that was a big like light bulb switch where I was like, wow, you know, this person I had in mind for my early film, they were right for the story, but I gave them the wrong character. I put them into the character they could play too easily. And the result is a very flat or cliche character. And so how do you take someone's energy and and place them into your character on the on the page that actually makes it better than the page, not just the same as the page? Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 yeah no, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The kind of the leap that it goes from being on the page to, to acting is interesting to hear about it being less, well, in some circumstances, less being about just bringing that character to life. But what can you bring that maybe even the writer didn't even think about yeah. that would make it even better? One of the things I, I usually hear from like directors, which is um, casting essentially is like 50, 50% of the director's job. Um, that's half your job done. It's honestly, I'd say it's even more than that. I'd say it's like 75, 80%. You cannot, what I found is that you cannot get puppeteer a performance out of somebody who's just not right for it. So it's, it's almost beyond like how much of a percentage it's like it's non-category. If you miss on casting, you cannot get make that character work. And some roles in the movies, we can have a shittier character and that's okay. But there are certain roles like the leads that when they're off, the whole movie goes down. So I know we all have those movies we watch and they're like, you know, I didn't really like that character or whatever, but the movie I still enjoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you fuck up on a, like a tertiary or, or a sub character, you can be forgiven. But on a, on a lead, it's over. We lose the emotional connection. So let's talk Spiral. Tell us a little bit about how it how it came about and when did you write it? I yeah. noticed it's only been released two months ago. I, I started writing it actually back in like 2018. And, and it's just, you know, what inspired me, you know, we talk a lot about Nolan and, and Darren Aronofsky is that those guys made basically no budget films Big time. they made movies that were like the uh, it was like fo- the following or following and, and pie and then Eraserhead was another one david lynch yeah, yeah. who i'm a huge fan of and i love that all three of these guys you know had basically not waited for the phone to ring for their budget and they're like i'm gonna make a movie with even if i'm the dp like nolan dp'd like following and i, I actually shot spiral and i don't really look at myself as a dp but i was like you know i'm the only person who's gonna commit the amount of time that it needs to go to this movie. And so can I find like a style that I'm suited for and, a, and an idea that I'm suited for to shoot it and direct it? That was initially the genesis. I was like, I have this idea of like this really like horrible drug trip, like gone wrong. But like there's this giant like spiritual journey of like, is it like a nightmare or is it like a fucking lesson within a, you know, a nightmare, you know? And so it just kind of, it kind of started from there. And, and um, my brother and I, you know, he produced it with me. He was, he was the star of this reality show um, back in high school. It was like this big thing called summer break. And uh, <laughs> he used to get like, get spotted everywhere in LA and shit. Um, but he, you know, we had both, you know, he'd been an actor for a while. He was like in modern family and a bunch of guest stars on shows. And like, we had both just been like, hitting Hollywood from so many angles. And we're like, you know what? I think we're we're ready to have our, our uh, you know, eraser head pie following moment where we just say, fuck it. Let's just make this movie no matter what. Let's use all of our savings and just go for it. And um, big time into that. Ben S and I talk about this a lot, yeah. especially with following as well. Yeah. And, and you know, what I love about those movies is you could argue that the scope and the scale of them is very small and there's issues, you know, and, oh, you know, like it's a little bit, they're all a little bit claustrophobic, but they also work with the stories, you know, the, the 
director was smart enough to choose a story that worked with that kind of claustrophobic black and white look yeah. where, you know, following is like this paranoid mystery eraser heads, this guy who's like, has a fucking weird, like alien baby. And like, and like, <laughs> uh, and pie is like, you know, a guy losing his fucking mind on like uncovering pie and what it means. And so, you know, we felt like this idea of a drug trip, shooting it in black and white would end, you know, with this kind of claustrophobic floating kind of dreamlike camera that's just kind of following people around um, would really, would really work for the story and not just be something where we were just trying to like save money on budget and lighting. It's funny you mentioned those three films because I, I felt all of them, especially yeah. Pi with some of the editing. Yeah, man. I mean, I love, I, I, we lived, we lived in that world of just like, Hey, like what? Oh yeah. Don't I, don't I want to fucking direct interstellar? Sure. But let's be real about our resources. Well, yeah, let's be yeah. real about what we have to put the money towards and its story and it's, and it's characters. And I, I like, literally we had this like giant thing on, on the wall of my apartment. I was living at the time, which was like story is King. So anytime we'd start to get distracted by like, Oh God, you know, do we need to have more elaborate shots or like, do we need, uh, no nope, story does this move the story does it help it or is this just us getting lost in the like the vanity of like making a really sexy movie or like yeah. you know a romantic like making the romantic movie of like oh we need like big lights and dollies and i was like no i'm not gonna waste money there i'd rather put money on on going to palm springs and, and shooting david steen who's in django and and shooting it on the train tracks like i want to put it there not on a fucking dolly shot you know that's very true and uh, yeah uh, like uh, that's a mistake I think that's a mistake that a lot of um, not necessarily uneducated directors make, but maybe a bit more inexperienced. For example, uh, Kevin Smith talks this, talks about a lot about this, especially with his film Clerks, which which is another vibe I got from another no film. budget, like black and white. Exactly, Super where they in, yeah. invested, they they worked with what they had, and they put the money where they know they can make it. They can make the scenes elevate a little bit, you know. Yeah. So um, that's I, I feel like that's. A, almost like a golden rule for you know uh, first-time directors maybe or just people trying to make their short films or whatever i think like paradoxically those choices and i felt this in spiral it's like it, it it feeds back into the aesthetic of the film that actually makes it more unique because you yeah. are working with things you have and ultimately no one else will have those things even if they to the filmmaker feel like nothing the fact is you know a balcony you have that no one else yeah. has gives your yeah. film something more unique than another film um, for sure i was gonna ask does that mean um does that mean spiral was inspired by true events uh, or is it <laughs> or, or i mean i because i'm conscious i know i don't want you to i don't want you to say anything about the film that you don't want to reveal because i know that it's a lot of it is in is your own interpretation but there's um, a lot of um a lot of personal stuff in there for sure you know it's it's a it's yeah. a hybrid blend and um really what i what i really like to me is and i you know i do this across all of my projects is like how can i take personal bits of my life from everywhere not just one event you know i don't get like locked into like it has to be like this night i had you know i get i'm like how can i take all these things that i've gone through put them into a story and then be nothing to do with me and have larger than life characters heightened reality a real premise and a hook not and not you know i really think a lot of filmmakers and writers go almost too personal sometimes, you know, and they put too much of themselves in and it just, it's not interesting enough. Only a handful of people in life have lived a life that's really interesting enough to make a biopic. And then you hear that 60% is made up anyways. And you're like, wow. So, so they weren't either, <laughs> yeah, yeah. either, you know, you need to, I really feel like you need to like 
pull away and be like, what parts of like, oh, maybe I heard this really interesting like story from someone and I can put a little bit of that into like a monologue, but not into like the whole story, you know, like yeah, it, yeah, yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah, of flavor and it, and it creates this great like realism and it creates this great like kind of specificity, you know, like I used to drink Hanson's drinks, you know, when I was uh, a teen, you know, we used to like have cherry vanilla Hanson's and there was this flavor that we didn't like and we put that into the scene where they're like around the campfire, but it's like, that's not like, you get what I'm saying? It's not like I put in the actual like shit that we're talking about. I just like, that's a really interesting specific detail to give someone that's in their fridge, but it's really one line and it just creates this interesting blocking and vibe of like what, what kind of world these guys are living in and to not get caught up in like, ah, that's not the way it happened. Like I need to put in this. And then this person said this and it's like, look, none of it happened, but a lot of things are real and grounded and truthful to moments and memories and people in my life throughout my whole life. But none of it's actually real, you know, like that's to me the, the blend. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good approach. I think Pick, cherry, cherry picking, picking. what's yeah. interesting from is a, that's really good. Yeah. I think as a viewer, you can quite easily watch stuff and be like, Oh my God, someone must yeah, have had this it, exact, you know, thing happen. And it's like, yeah, there's a shame of it. Real, sure, like but, it feels you know. like I found people are like, oh, this is people are feels like have really. like wrote to me and emailed me and like comment and DM me. They're like, this movie was so realistic and this and I had the same thing like that. And I'm like, it's almost like your idea translates <laughs> to more people if you don't make it personal. You know, that's what I've found. And it is, you know, making movies is always going to be personal, but it's not like I, I don't necessarily look at like it as my diary. You know, like I just don't. Mm. I just not. That's not the movies. I don't go see movies like I want to see movies that I still think are like genre films. And, and for me, like, and my brother Dash, it was so important that we were making a genre movie where it's like, this needs to be a movie that somebody can get really stoned and watch and go on like a crazy psychedelic trip. And they're like, Ooh, that's scary. Is he getting set up? Like, is this like a suspense thriller? Is this about a guy who's like, who's, whose drug dealer is basically fucking him over. And, and it's like, we need to have all those, those feelings because that's part of the fun. And, you know, it's kind of makes, yeah. makes, you know, a realistic drug trip where you're like, Oh my God, like, are the cops following us? And then all of a sudden you're like eating and you're like, man, what happened to that girl I haven't seen in five years? Like, I wonder, you know, it's like just that kind of feeling, but also it's fun. It makes it more fun to watch. And I don't, I hate boring movies. That's the only thing that I'll refuse to do is, is go so self-indulgent that I bore somebody. Two things that I kind of take away from this, which is what I kind of thought about when it comes to writing, which is the, the more general the theme or the main aspect of the film is the more people it reaches because you know there's only so many themes that people go through in throughout their lives so usually if you the more basic you make it the more approachable it is to them because they'll see themselves they'll put themselves in the, in mm-hmm. the protagonist protagonist shoes yeah so when it comes like you said cherry picking those moments you know no no nobody goes through uh, another person's yeah. day exactly for what it is but people generally have certain moments that feel generally the same so i feel like that's a a really good approach to making a film that's that can be personal but not a biopic to the other point of what i thought about when watching the film so when you watch a lot of drug trips they usually go down usually one route of you know just one person just kind of going through the through the you know yeah the wheel the wheels emotions of a drug trip whereas what you did is you subverted expectations so you know you think the cop's gonna pull them over book them or whatever no yeah it's into the whole other thing and it goes on to another thing so i think that's what's really good about cherry picking those moments because you cherry pick enough and you can subvert what people will expect and that's what will keep that your film whatever that film may be fresh although obviously the film is about the drug trip i think the the way it was put together was 
the, it wasn't as if the whole film was, as you said, was looking through the lens no. of a drug trip. That happened. Yeah. That yeah. started the narrative. And obviously it's still there throughout. But I think it, what you did very well was to not make it all about that. And actually it became more about these other things. And that just became the kind of catalyst that the story went through, which I think was very clever because it's very easy, I think, or would have been very easy to have made it more about the drug trip aspect. Yeah. The, you know, I got like a kind of um, a waking life by Linklater, by, yeah. from, which um, which was cool because that I love that movie in it. And again, it does a great job of, of, you know, having that basis of him going up, waking up through different conscious layers. But sure. once you've got that out of the way and it's there, then you can start exploring these more philosophical questions and angles that, that make the film, you know, much more interesting and relatable you nailed it man that's that was it like it's a catalyst for for a for a character basically having a a life awakening and and, um yeah but but doing it in such a a way that's like kind of like you know we um we got into like a couple feature film festivals which was another a big thing i remember you know i was gonna ask about that 45 minutes so 45 minutes is what the academy says if it's over that is a feature film so we were like we need to make sure this thing's over 45 um but i also didn't want to make it an hour and a half because i just didn't think that it this this story would work that way and you know i'm I'm a big fan of those black mirror shows and i was like you know why can't we make a black mirror length thing where it's like a standalone but it's like kind of like has the attention span for someone who could watch it online you know absolutely yeah yeah but still has the the payoff of a feature film which is that you invest a lot of time and you get paid off big at the end and um we played at this um la film festival is called uh ifs and we played for a crowd and um i was like shit like i wonder i you know are people gonna get all like cerebral you know the way i do you know i yeah like i know that there's a lot of things that are funny i was aware of them but i was also like thinking more like you know for me though you know tarkovsky those kind of those movies are i I, that was my main goal which was like to get this kind of like theme across of like are you living the life that you want to live and can some crazy fucking series events throw you off and basically give you that like light bulb moment you know basically can you have a light bulb moment through a really horrible scary event you know a life or death experience you know it's basically a life or death experience kind of thing drawn out and but the movie at the film festival man people were just fucking cracking up and there's something about the crowd and it played very like the comedy played really well and i was just so fascinated people were just laughing and the the aunt aunt jane character people are just going crazy for and, and a lot of people are like dude that was my favorite character and i've gotten a lot of emails about this aunt jane character people uh, um, <laughs> just love you know and and to me i'm like wow that just show I, I just love that people have different tastes and different you know experiences and a lot of people are like that was such a trippy that was like such a funny movie about like a, a, a black comedy you know i'm like well the fact that she's at the start of the film is yeah, a compliment yeah. that people would then yeah. back and be like oh yeah. i remember her is great you guys are rad dude you know i I love just meeting like-minded people man and you know it's it's a you know the the movie business is a jungle and and it's it's rare to find people who are like good dudes and also fucking have good taste too you know like like i'll meet some people (laughs) and they're like oh you're a nice person but you fucking are don't you know i you know there's some certain people i'll watch i'm like oh you know come over we're gonna rewatch the shining and they're on their phone the whole time and i'm like come on man like you know like yeah yeah no i i uh i was um so I'd watched a couple of Tarkovsky's. Um, I'd watched Stalker. I'd watched a couple of others, and I knew I knew I really liked him, and I wanted to watch the rest of his films. So during lockdown, I watched four others. I, I've only seen Solaris and Stalker, and, and Solaris is probably like one of my favorite films of all time. 
Solaris is awesome. I actually have the poster of it in my flat. Do you really, dude? Oh, <laughs> it's so, it's no, so I'm going to start saying flat, by the way. I want to fucking yeah. start saying <laughs> oh, I love that, man. That's fucking great. It's way better than a fucking show. Sounds way cooler. Co- condo or apartment, <laughs> hey, you got, right? Hey, you got to come over to my flat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. It's so good. You haven't seen Ivan's Childhood. No, That's I haven't. That's the one I've got okay. for tonight. So I, yeah, so I have to, I have to point out that um, there's a couple of shots in uh, Spiral. I mean, I thought of the one where he's uh, when he's drinking the water, and you've got the yeah, um, the camera flips. Yeah, Ivan's Childhood is um, is such a beautifully shot film, and it's Tarkovsky's first film, and it is an it is an incredible movie. But there's just certain shots in that, the way that it's edited, that made me think about Spiral. And I gotta the way see that, it. Yeah, you got to watch it, man. If you haven't seen it, it's it's strangely it's one of Tarkovsky's best, and it's his first. But I mean, you know. That's, that's that's a high bar though <laughs> that's what i was going to say actually is that the editing in spiral as i was saying earlier it's, it's a bit like i felt like i had pie in there at certain bits quick edits and the kind of fast r- speed ramps some of the editing with him in when he goes into the water um mm-hmm. in, in the, the swimming in pool, the pool yeah yeah the way that that's put together i think it's really interesting because you know a lot of us think about editing as being this kind of you know you cut from one shot to another shot linear exactly yeah. and i think the stuff with tarkovsky which which was amazing is it it cuts together like memories which is weirdly in a way is is almost closer to how we experience life a little bit i think it's it's a it's a bit closer to how your mind works you know you do jump from thoughts to thoughts and got that vibe with a couple of scenes in this especially when he jumps in the swimming pool and you, yeah. you kind of cut around that there's a certain i love that man yeah. i love that you that you felt that you know it's, it's funny my my actually my biggest fear with this movie was not um was that i felt as though my brother and i we would talk about it when we were like looking at dailies and shit we were like man I hope that we're not going so bold and so out there that we just alienate everyone Mm. because we both think this is brilliant and we both think that this is like going to connect with someone, but is it so niche by, you know, and then we watching the great movies of like Tarkovsky and, and something like, you know, even a movie like apocalypse. Now there's these like sequences that are like super non-linear, you know, where it's just dissolving. And, and, and those movies really gave me faith where I'm like, you know what? I cannot underestimate audiences. That's me being, that's me seeing too many, cookie cutter movies and reading too many forums of people who are like i didn't understand that movie and and this movie's not and i'm like you know what i i gotta trust that i you know and one of the greatest experiences that i had when we were shooting the movie we were like maybe um a third into production and my brother and i went to go see mother in theaters (laughs) right and and, uh that was that was uh the darren aronofsky film that a lot of people hated and a lot of people didn't get and i i left i went to this this movie and i just was like wow you can do fucking anything at all you can break every rule you can follow no formula if you've got a big vision for it and and you might piss some people off and you might miss on a lot of people but there aren't any rules and we're like all right if darren aronofsky is willing to go out and risk everything on on the most like non yeah, yeah. like the third act just completely throws away all logic for the sake of the the message yeah, yeah. and i was like you know what like let's let's go down swinging let's go down you know because there's there's times we're making we're like man do we need to like have a scene that explains this and is this ending to you know like getting getting worried about basically people not understanding it you know and 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 that's the i think the toughest part of of trying to be a filmmaker and and not be someone who has like the taste for like just action and and basically straightforward narratives you know 
absolutely i'm envious of those guys you know because they just they have an an audience it's very very obvious you know i think it's about longevity as For well sure. you know it's about how long you know people are, tarkovsky made seven films and people are still referencing them they're almost 40 years old i was just going to say it's interesting that what you're talking about reminds me of that that story of wes anderson making bottle rocket and showing it to this audience and and everyone, supposedly a lot of people, but most of the audience left just kind of like some people left halfway through. No one really understood it. And there was one woman apparently in the audience who was like, my God, I feel like someone's made a film that I can just understand. And he was like, you are our audience. You are the people that we are making this film for. And there's going to be more of you. You know, there's going to be more people that are like that. And so I think it's, um, you know, sometimes I think the other way is true. Like, even if it seemingly feels like people don't get it, there's always going to be people that get it. And that that's going to be the people that appreciate it for what it is. Basically, making films now, we have the ad- advantage of having uh, at least two generations of uh of people who have grown up with films even i suppose our generation more than than anyone else due to netflix amazon and stuff like that uh, so a lot of them do think in cinema terms now a lot of them do can catch up with whatever narrative hurdles you're throwing at them um sure there's always room for you know six underground whatever films right but um i think you can trust them yeah. enough now to actually do go swinging go down swinging and make a film that's bold enough in its narrative and it's in the way it presents narrative that they will catch up and not everyone will be a fan because not everyone will always be a fan of you 100 percent of the time that doesn't exist um but yeah yeah i think it doesn't you... exist in life either no, yeah that so, people are right, chasing that i think that's a brave way to go with with making films or with making art or anything creative i think um it's just to just to go you know go out with everything you have go down swinging if you must but still there will be the champions that will keep that keep that film or that art going because they'll enjoy it so much they'll pass it on and that i know that that happens 100 percent of the time all the time 100 percent. everything you just said you know that's that's the hard thing you know is that we you know as as creators are are human and so those human fears those real fears of like man well well will i be liked all these things still creep in you know and can you keep can you keep those out of the art you know and, and uh it, it's tough and uh, you know I, I knew that i had done you know had a couple movies made by just writing and doing that where i was like you know what i gotta remind myself i'm making this movie in many ways to see that i can't pull off what i want to see from other great filmmakers and and if i compromise here if I can't fucking not compromise on a movie where I'm putting my own money in and there's no distribution and there's no, you know, big boss hanging over my head, when will I ever have the courage to, you know, make those big leaps? And so I was like that. And those kind of thoughts were like, this is why I just can't. And I, cause I had some, I screened it for a couple people before the release. And, and, um, you know, some people were like, you know, I think you should have this thing in the end that explains it. And, and like, they're like, I, and, and they were, had questions and i was like that's the point like you're supposed to leave with questions you're supposed to leave thinking and you're supposed to say hey i got maybe i need to check this again and when you watch again you'll be blown away by the level of thought that i put in with you know easter eggs and shit that you you just have no idea because that's what yeah, I love, yeah. you know. I loved watching Fight Club six times and seeing the phone booth, and, yeah. and 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 I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a service for for the ultimate diehard film fans. That if you love this movie, well, I'm gonna put so much shit in there with so many theories and so many things, so that that ending scene 
can be a whole load of stuff. And I remember, I, I, you know, when I released it on YouTube, which was like, I was like, fuck it, let, let's release it. Yeah, I was going to say, it was that your primary area? To, do you want to you do you want to get it on Netflix? Is that possible? Um, you know, I I knew, you know, my brother and I knew going into it that it was a movie that we were more interested in getting a lot of exposure and and doing it in a way that was like a movie for the people and a movie that you could just watch for free and, and watch, you know, and Netflix has a very narrow type of movie they want to put out, you know, they're, and, and, and again, you know, could I, I could have overrode this if I had Tom Cruise in my cerebral mind bending, you know, thing, but, and then the other platforms, which I think we, we could get onto and, and, and I've had offers for it. I just was like, I don't want to put it on some select platform because I'm not interested in, in making them the money back on the movie. I don't, I don't care about yeah, that. I think Bernice and I, and I think the other guys, massive fans of, of, of it being on YouTube. You guys are watching, you guys are watching. We're only here talking today. Cause I put it out online where I was like, where's the biggest audience in the world right now. It's YouTube. The only thing that I'm worried about is that the attention span is going to be thrown away because you know you can you could stream it i put it 1080p and you can stream it onto your tv and watch on your 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 youtube app and have the the full experience for free you don't have to have a membership and you don't have to you know and on all those things were so important for me because i was like i want to get reactions and i want this movie to be just free and and able for anyone to watch and just stumble on on accident and not have this like I got to go on to Netflix to watch Spider's movie. Absolutely. Not for this yeah, one. Yeah, you know? yeah. I noticed you have a bit of a you, you have a fair amount of subscribers on yeah. on your channel. So that's kind of a good basis as well for you to get that out on. Yeah, it's good. I mean, you know, our the movie's up to like 45,000 views now and and you know, I think it'll keep growing too and and but most importantly my, you know, the reactions it's got like 80 comments of people with like weird theories and like um, and and that and that shit alone was like I love the idea of like Netflix, you watch a movie and like you can talk about it with people in your life. I love the idea where you could have a conversation about this movie in the comment section. Like that to me was a kind yeah, of a pull yeah, yeah. for YouTube versus, you know, anyone could submit to Amazon now. And I was like, well, it doesn't do you any good to be on Amazon if no one knows what the film is. They're never going to search or find it. Only people who already know you are going to find it, which is just you getting your friends to watch it on there. You know, it's like I'm interested in like yeah, actual yeah, yeah. strangers stumbling upon this. And with YouTube, you know, I've got a lot like 50 percent, like 15,000 views in the last week and a half have come from people searching like movies on YouTube and then clicking on it and watching all the way through. And it's like and I'm like, there you go. That literally gives it a life after it's in, uh, after it being made because you can throw it out on Netflix and it won't exist. A conversation around it, you might not even hear about it if it does exist. Absolutely. Right? But over here, you have a, a stream, a stream of voices that are literally talking about yeah, it. Yeah, man. As they are thinking about it, right? And you, as a creator, you can a you can have fun with it and just read the theories and you know what th people think about it, and then. On the other hand, you can also chime in if you actually want it. Like, uh, I, I feel like that's having that one-on-one -on -one connection. I think that's really cool. No, and that's that was the thing. And, it, you know, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, there's so it's so awesome to be someone who gets a movie on a Netflix. I just think that it has to be the right movie because what, what you don't want is you never want to put your stuff into a vacuum. And it's and it's basically having it's allowing the ego to be pushed down and say, what's the best thing for this movie? And, and yeah, if you have numbers, if you have, if you have $2 million, you need to make your money back and Netflix gives you a thing, like do it. But like, if you have a, a way to get more exposure and a way to get more dialogue about your movie, and especially you're an indie and, and you've shot it and financed it yourself. Well, I I've seen people take the route of just putting it onto like Amazon prime and this and that it's like ended your movie's life. You just did yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, that's really interesting. Cause most people would assume that that 
increases that's the prestige somehow, and but, stuff yeah well the the prestige see that's the that's the misconception that people think that you're special if you are someone who gets onto the here or there and, and when it when the reality is it's all about your art connecting with the right people i learned that the hard way and i i talk about it a lot you know i i went from having my first movie made at 23 and i, I assume that that put me into a a uh, you know at the time i was a little bit cocky and, and thinking that it would just was like, oh, I'm in this ladder now where I should be able to make three movies a year. And I went on two years of just no jobs after that, of no writing jobs. And, and I couldn't understand. I had an agent. We, you know, I got lucky. You know, I, I wrote this sci-fi spec and I got like 60 meetings with like, like I met with Amblin, Skydance, everyone. Couldn't, and I couldn't book, you know, I couldn't book anything else off of it. And I'm like, dude, I need fucking money. You know, like, <laughs> like people <laughs> can't live Jesus. off passion and, and, and uh, you know, and love, you know, you got to have some yeah, some yeah, income. Yeah. I learned a long time ago that it's not about getting the external level of like, oh, like I got a writing credit or my movie got onto Amazon. It's about your work actually getting seen by people, like you said, which allows a your art to be into the world and and to create a real fan who says, hey, I want to finance your next movie from seeing it, not from you basically telling someone that you're on Amazon. Nobody gives a shit. There's you're on Amazon, but I didn't find it. Like they need to find it on Amazon. So if you have an actor who's big enough that maybe somebody would find your movie on Amazon, that's great. But if you're you're putting out your indie film on Amazon and you've got like some third build TV actor as your lead, like you're putting it into a vacuum, you know, and you're doing it for your ego because you want to tell everyone and put in your bio that my movie's on Amazon Prime. Sorry if I've hurt anyone's feelings <laughs> watching this, but I'm only saying no, it. Like, I mean, it's, I'm it's, only it's saying it because it doesn't affect anybody who actually is in the industry and, and, and is there to give you an opportunity. They are dealing with people who are movie stars. They get scripts with huge people attached. So to have a little small thing means nothing. You're better off impressing them with your actual movie. If I'm going to get a shot, uh, you know, an opportunity of meeting, get them to read your script, get them to watch your movie. Don't pitch them on all the things that you've done because you've clearly not done anything big enough that you're on the map. So you know what I mean? There's that like catch 22 yeah, yeah. of like, you shouldn't have to pitch the, your little credits because they mean nothing if that person, if you're pitching it to that person. Absolutely. Big time. And yeah, creating something tangible as well that you can actually show people, I think is so important. And the, you lose all the fun of it too. You know, like one of the best parts is getting reactions of the movie. And like I've gotten, you know, I had this one girl who like wrote me this email, this long email, how this movie like changed her life and shit. And I was like, wow. That's amazing. You know, and I, that's what that's what it's for, isn't and it? And I remember saying, and I looked at my brother and I showed him and I was like, dude, you know what? I don't care if this movie gets 500 views. There we go. There's a stranger person who connected. And I said, yeah, that's, yeah, I know, yeah. it's what I told you guys. I said, you know, I'm going to keep making movies. So if this one doesn't pop, because the timing is off, the zeitgeist, because I didn't have a big enough actor, that's okay, because I'm going to keep making movies and people will look back. And that, you know, as long as you keep yeah, making yeah, content, yeah, yeah. you yeah. keep moving forward and you say, you give it everything you've got and you you make the story you want to make and then say, hey, I'm going to release it in a way that can get the most exposure, not makes me feel the best about, you know, oh, I got on to Shutter or whatever, you know, like that's really cool too. Yeah, but yeah, if, yeah. if you're sure. not getting on there and they're not promoting your movie, like, like if you get on Netflix, yeah, you want the platform to love your movie so much that they're putting it on the homepage. And if they're not doing that and they're just putting you on on their thing, like let's be real. How many movies are on Netflix that we never watch that are real people went and made their movie and it's so far down the list of like horror and so deep. Only the cream of the crop works on the Netflix platform because we're not – we're not there to, we're not really looking for a library of movies. We're really just looking for the hottest, most movies with the most temperature that everyone's saying you got to see, not the, the overall library of, of, yeah, yeah, of yeah. content. 
we did a film on a podcast like uh i think it was called only you and none of us had heard it except for one guy basically that yeah. watched it what by accident or some shit so yeah, Louis did. Yeah, yeah and then he you know it ended up being a great little indie flick but the ho- the picture on the homepage of netflix made it look something like something i would never this watch rom-com yeah. film but actually it was such an an in-depth indie film so yeah i mean like how how it's how it's communicated especially yeah, word of mouth word of mouth is the is the deal you know like that's i think when you know the only way you get past word of mouth is by getting a piece of talent whose people know on such a large level that that is the pitch for a lot yeah. of people mm. where it's like hey i'm sorry like I, I there are certain actors that i don't care i'll see any movie they do yeah. yeah and so that gets you to go but if you don't have that and you don't have the big budget for billboards and marketing and and trailers that we're seeing it around you are in you and you're going into that indie route you need word of mouth on your side and so in many ways i i've you know what scares me a little bit is the way that our um streaming platforms apple tv is that i see so many movies just end up on there yeah. that are people who like got a real actor and they put it together budget a million dollars and it goes right onto this like showtime anytime and it's so down the list and i'm like dude like your movie is almost more lost than had it just been like for free on the internet where like I would have then watched it just out of curiosity and be like, fuck, that's amazing. I'll see anything from that person versus just, it's, a, you know, it's weird. It's a, we're in a yeah, weird, weird time of that blend. And uh, it's just, I think it's just a uh, mass consumption of content where people are just kind of mindless about it. And so it's a lot just of because, content. you know, there's, uh, there's demand for it, companies will just take anything and they won't promote, promote it. They'll just, and the put promotion it on- is key. Exactly. And they'll just dump it on their platform just, you know, for the sake of having it because somebody... Why not? Yeah, exactly. Because we have it. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is interesting. Trust me that I feel like we could do a whole podcast about <laughs> uh, about like streaming networks. And, yeah, it's um, so, so interesting though. I feel you. Yeah, releasing on YouTube, I think was a great idea. And actually, I, um, I noted a few things here. You haven't seen Tenet, but it's interesting. The train scene, I don't know how much this will mean to you, but the train scene in this... I kind of got Tenet vibes from a little Dude, bit. It's so weird. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure someone else has as well. But um, I noticed that when he, whenever he had a hallucination or like another worldly thing, there was always like water present. There always seemed to be when he was in the swimming pool, he had that thing. And when he was hosing the car down, he had his friend in the yeah. back. Um, was that intentional? Which I just thought was, it was an interesting thing. Um, yeah, was that intentional? Was that? Uh... I'll just say, yeah, pretty much everything was intentional, and you know, other other than just you know how you felt about it, like yeah, I, I you know, we. That's interesting. I, I just I'm a, I'm a really detail oriented guy, and I just I don't I don't like uh, doing anything that's random, other than ju- other than just like you know, obviously there's going to be trees, and you know what I mean. Like there there are things that you things just you don't control. Yeah, you know, like how fast the train's going and things like that. But like the the overall details are 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 very much there, and and yeah. So the two other things I noticed was there's a psycho you got a good, poster. You got a good eye, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a psycho uh, psycho poster in, I think Mike's flat. I yeah. can't remember where, but but I know that that was the first film to show a toilet uh, flushing. A couple of toilet scenes <laughs> after that, which was interesting. That was just like something I noticed. But also, um, there was a 1984. I think the 1984 book yeah. was at the end. Yeah, and I think like Pi did this as well, but I can't remember that. And there's a lot of CCTV shots in. Um, in spiral especially in his in the building i think yeah, yeah. for me at least especially i read that as like the end. yeah if you're having a trip you kind of feel like you're being watched you feel like you're being for sure kind of for l- sure looked at 
so that was just a couple of things that I kind of my brother is. I'm gonna he's I'm gonna show this podcast and he's gonna he's gonna laugh his <laughs> ass off because <laughs> uh, I remember times he's like dude you're going you're he's like dude you're just too fucking crazy and I'm like no you watch you watch <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah, this is the, this is confirmation that you should go uh, you should go deep I've just got in capsule kit is Mike real tell us spider <laughs> oh my god. It's interesting at the at the beginning that um that Mike was uh he seemed like he was a bad guy at the start. He kind of ended up becoming this um you know spiritual angel, and obviously, however you read the end, I'm and don't worry, we're not, we're not going to get yeah. you to explain the end. So I feel like it's it's up for everyone's sure. interpretation. But um, one, I thought he was an amazing yeah, actor. Sam, Samuel David, he's he's great, man. He's a really really great actor man he's gonna have a big big career you know he's just a natural he was amazing yeah. and he was so good at playing like he was almost such a good actor that at the start that good acting almost it was there and he was yeah. playing that role but like once once he once it came away from him being like a bad guy yeah whatever, yeah, yeah yeah then you really start to feel like oh okay this every time he was there you're just like yeah mike Mike's yeah cool no it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. for sure yeah i love i love the the playing around with like you know he's just so, he's so good at, at keeping a mystery about him you know and that's why i wanted him for the party just knows how to and like you said it's like is mike a bad guy is he a good guy is he his spirit guide is he sending him into a trap and sam just has that mm. that mysterious energy about him that just like played with the writing so well or oh, i was just like time. oh this guy's you guys are dude you know i felt like he he could um he, he could flip at any moment as yeah. well yeah um, yeah man. Like, like he, yeah, yeah he's a really nice guy he's nothing like yeah, mike he by just the flips. way he's just one of those <laughs> he's just <laughs> How um how much was the script was what was exactly written exactly said by the actors or was there some improvisation? It's, it's funny. We wanted to create the feeling where it feels very ad lib and anything, but it, it was very script. Like it's almost all there, save a couple a couple of okay, great, great like ad libs here. But most of the improvisation is is more about like physical moment. You know what I mean? Like physical moments rather right, than yeah, like yeah. like things that yeah. weren't written about like how a character would react and things that I just think are part of st- storytelling and filmmaking. But um, the script was pretty much all there, and the writing was very specific and detailed. So with a f- film like this and a story like this for if um the reason why this film felt so scripted was because most films in this kind of like genre subgenre where it's like a stoner movie they kind of fall away by the mid like second act because they kind of go like aimlessly yeah. where whereas this kind of still had a still had a thread going still had a narrative going which felt just much more tight tighter than your usual stoner comedies or stoner kind of films yeah you know i've never been a big fan of stoner comedies and it's funny you know we played around with basically the idea of bringing the drugs and the, and the highness into it but but ultimately you know i really believe that a screenplay and if you have the ability to have creative control with your l- luckily i wrote the script so you know i i knew what the only lines that i changed on set were things that i as a writer wanted to change where it's like ah oh, this isn't working but i really believe there's this like po- poet poetic rhythm to a screenplay of of dialogue dialogue and it's why I'm, I was so adamant about making sure every line was said because I feel like and I think Tarkovsky and all these guys do it I, I think that's why they have so many lines and they're so detailed and they're, they're never missed and there's there's sequences you could argue could be cut that aren't because I feel like it creates this like crescendo building all the way up and if you have an actor ad-lib lines in a screenplay that's like that it can throw off everything it can throw off like this rhythm this like heartbeat that's like there's a to me a pace to every scene and then that every scene is a basically building up to like little mountains and then each mountains are building up and then you're on like the island in solaris you know but it's like it's that kind of um build and so i feel like dialogue is so really shouldn't be um ad-libbed unless an actor ad-libs perfectly into the 
poetry, not just the character and the and the scene, but the poetry of the rhythm, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really it's very interesting you say that, having only seen two Tarkovsky films. I feel like once you watch Ivan's Childhood and a couple of others, th- th- that will just be I'm excited, man. I got homework yeah. tonight from you guys. Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, Unintentional. So let me get this straight. The the main actor um who is Ben. Ben, yeah. Who's pl- is that played by your It's my brother. brother? Yeah, he's my brother. Yeah. yeah. Okay, right fine. And it's I, it's so interesting. He kind of looks a little bit like the guy from waking life that's so funny yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah dash man he's 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 been acting since he was like like 12 or 11 man he was on commercials and a kid and i told you like the reality show and, and he's just he's a natural he's a he's a natural dude like he just he gets it you know there's there's a lot of actors who like get nervous and, and they allow the nerves to like take over and he's just one of those people like i, I was feeding him lines and sam like on, in the moment where i was like guys like I have a great idea. This line, it's going to pay off here and I'm going to make this change here. I need you to put it in and and like they're able to be there and do it and and they can throw it into their subconscious real quick and 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 act it versus like someone who's like I need to go in my trailer and memorize. Like we're not we're not memorizing here guys. We're like we're just you know your characters now. Find a way to make this real. This line has to be here, you know. And those guys Okay. That's yeah, what you yeah. did so well was made it feel yeah. real. Like it made it because it, it's a hard role yeah. to play. It's very easy to fall into the kind of like trick yeah. tricky, like I'm yeah, freaking yeah, out. Yeah. Convincing enough. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bringing that realistic vibe to a, to a trip and, and still, you know, we often in a really weird way, Dash and I talked a lot about like I, I kind of made him watch a lot of like Charlie Chaplin performances because I, I in a weird way, That's interesting. Physical, physical, yeah. Kind and of and I'm saying it's not about like we're not really trying, but I felt like the black and white drug trip world i was like i'm we're creating this like fake reality and i feel like you if you can find this physical charlie chaplin-esque acting to complement a very realistic um personal grounded on your face but really bring this like animated feeling to it that we're gonna have a really big winner or this character is gonna be really fun to watch instead of really bleak and depressing and disturbing or he's still fun to watch as he's like life is being ripped before his eyes you know that actually came across very much because like yeah like dom said just now like you could watch someone just kind of like fake a trip and you know that they're faking it whereas this acting and his role entirely yeah just came, came across as way more natural and just kind of look yeah. organic and so those movements those those animated movements they just felt way more organic and they like they just come from the burst of the moment as opposed to just like oh i'm on drugs you know what i mean there's these bits where you feel like you're coming out of it but then you're back into it yeah like, yeah, I think, yeah it's like a rolling sure, wave on yeah it. one bit where he kind of started to perk up like half an hour in or something and yeah his feet, and then i think that was when he meditated in the car yeah um, but just before that he was like yeah i'm like, I'm, like I'm all sober when people get drunk as well like you just get you know you, you and you go the outside yeah, yeah exactly you feel like actually i'm all right and like now nah, you're you're at the top of this wave <laughs> you're still in the peak you're back, you go straight back in <laughs> we we talked a lot yeah like the plateaus of a drug trip you know it comes in waves and and you know I, i'm really fascinated by like you know making a, was making a realistic drug trip and not in the way of like realistic but like i wanted the movie to be as high as the character was in a way like the the actual way it was shown so things calmed down and, and you know we had it was like chapters that were divided by the different plateaus and, and and basically they were like kind of character revelations in a way but you know just how do I allow you to feel like you're in the high with him but he's also there but he's also getting high it was that kind of blend you know where it's like it's that altered reality where both you're high and he's high and so there's this you're in this kind of wacky doodle world but then things get really real and heavy too yeah, and yeah. that's kind of what it's like to be in in one of those kind of heavier 
type drugs. And um, I, I didn't watch it till after, but I watched Enter the Void after we finished oh, wow. the movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I made sure I didn't watch it before because I didn't. I knew that it was one of the, like the greatest DMT drug trip movies, and I didn't want. I didn't want any influence. I just didn't want to see it. Um, but when I watched it after with him, we were just like, "What a brilliant movie!" And we didn't. We didn't cross over, but I love just how every filmmaker who tackles a drug trip effectively gets to choose what it feels like down there you know so i guess a couple like simple questions of like i was just intrigued what did you shoot it on we shot it on a canon 7d and i I had learned a while ago how to tweak the settings to kind of create a very filmic look you know Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah um you know the black and white with with um the the 7d i was like there's such an interesting I had no intention of using a larger camera because I just, I wanted to be able to, I knew what our locations were going to be. And I wanted to be able to squeeze cameras in weird places. And I wanted to be able to just, I wanted the portability of like, all right, I've got a little rig that will make it kind of float better, but I wanted to be able to really get close and get this like kind of dream, like kind of following tracking ghost trail kind of feel and um when i when i found the the right settings for the the 7d and it was my it's my older 7d i actually like it much better it's from like 2009 it was like they shot like crazy on it uh that's why i bought it way back in the day um and then for the right settings pro is flat and black and white it just it looked right that's awesome and it just it worked and and um i just felt like i could get really crazy with it and fucking not worry about breaking it you know and just and what i found is that you know it doesn't really matter what camera you're using it's just the person behind the lens and and i've seen movies shot on reds that look like they're shot on iphones you know someone who doesn't understand the lighting and understand like where to place people and and to me it was like it's more about like, all right, I know I can make this camera work and it's going to work really well. And how can I use the camera's strengths and its weaknesses? Because the DSLR, you know, has a lot of weaknesses too. And I was like, I'm going to use those to my advantage. I'm going to use the shallow depth of field to my advantage and and, and find a style and a, an aesthetic that really works. And so the DSLR was great for me on this one, at least. I really liked the lighting in, in the film. I'm a bit, obviously, like we were saying, I think we're all big fans of of the three kind of shorts uh, or yeah, three yeah. features that you mentioned. The but, no um, budget features, yeah. Yeah, it was it was noirish, but it I, I imagine it was hopefully simple to set up on set. Like you often had kind of one light source or maybe two, and it's just like set that up, get the shot right, and then just get shooting. You know, obviously lighting is, is so important, but it sounds like you've thought about how that was built into the story anyway so there was a and just we're big fans of like just getting set up start shooting i i honestly one of the biggest lifesavers you won't believe is i had a one really big light a really nice light and then so you know i would try to put practicals in the scene and then the, one of the biggest things that really helped me with black and white you wouldn't believe iphones i had i use like three or four iphone lights at a time wow. to create i to create eye lights to create little fills I swear to fucking just God. Just a flash on the iPhone. I, yeah, I even had times where I had an iPhone connected to my the top of my DSLR. <laughs> wow. And it would just add more. I'm telling you, like, I couldn't believe it because... That's cool. You know, That's really cool. To shooting, to shooting color with it, you get that blue look. But in black and white, it just acted as a little fill if you brought it close enough. And it worked. I, I A lot of the great highlights I got were from my iPhone. And, and I just <laughs> was like, wow. It wow. just shows you, you know, you can, and, and my, my thought was that if I go so weird with the style of the way I shoot it and like light it mm. and still keeping in mind, like, you know, I would, all, there's always scenes that I shot and I felt like the angles were wrong and, and from the wrong angles, I just scrapped, you know, I was like, there's certain, you know, a lot of times the scene, you know, I really wanted to shoot a lot of it. One takes a lot of different little one takes. I was going to ask this because yeah, yeah. so there were quite a lot of one takes. Yeah, one takes that was, too, yeah. that was, um, that was a lot to do with, uh, I just felt like 
the realism would come across of the drug trip if I could get a lot of it in, in long takes um, and really get the performances there because it, and just save the punch-ins for moments that really counted and, and try to really know what I was shooting. And, and that it worked so well with this movie. And I, granted, I wouldn't do that with all movies, but with this one, the long takes just really, you know. The one that really stood out to me actually was, um, I'm, I hope I'm right in saying this, but the when he met the girl... Yeah, on the curb. Yeah, 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 yeah. On the curb. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The I think there was only one cut when he There's was walking one. away. Yeah, the whole thing yeah. was one. Yeah, and it's amazing. I think the way you filmed that was just so good because it it actually felt like it was being cut, even though yeah. it wasn't. So there's kind <laughs> yeah. of like that nature where it kind of goes between them. I think was um yeah. Again, it's just like it's practical surely for timing on set as well, but also just feeds into the idea of the film you just right? you so got it got yeah that. you find a style that you feeds into your story and to me that's you know i i you know really quickly i shot a movie prior to this a couple years ago a short film and we i got like 10 grand to do it we shot on a boat it was to shoot this crazy thing on a boat at night the style of the drone and the way we lit the boat at night um was so amazing and i learned the ultimate lesson which is if it's not with performances and it's not with your story's not there it doesn't matter how good your sexy and cool your movie looked and so i i was like i'm not going to make the mistake i did on that which was bank everything on aesthetic and style um when it's meaningless if you don't get across the performances so i wanted to find a a style that really complemented the characters so because i had made that mistake before so i I really for sure i think that was cool it was cool to watch long takes that didn't you know sometimes like and i i love long takes like i love you know link before trilogy he's great the long takes in that but just like the idea that that scene with the girl was was a long take, but it wasn't about that. It was about the fact that they yeah. were just yeah. meaning and it fit, and it fed into it. Not to do it for the wrong reason. Yeah, a lot of people do that, and it gets a bad it gets a bad name. One takes because so many people do it for the indulgent element of like I want a cool one take and not for story. And and speaking of Linklater, I just have a shout out. Um, his sister Trisha Linklater um did all of our sound design. On, we noticed um, this on the credits. Technicolor, we yeah, How, yeah. yeah. Um, Technicolor on the Paramount lot was so so awesome. They did our whole sound design ADR. We you know we got we got the movie just unbelievably sound treated. Was that you know? by accident? Wow. That was the only downside. Is no, I, I I had known her from from over the years, and and um, she's so awesome. And, and her so and, cool. and she got a big t- team for us who basically did the whole movie. And, and sound was so important on this movie for that drug experience, and especially with low budget. You know, we got we got the ultimate while we shot it dirt cheap. Like we got the ultimate like sound post-production sound you know did the sound you captured on set did you use like a good mic for that was that then used or was it all um, replaced so and the dialogue is the only thing that we use from set oh the rest was okay, like video yeah rest we, of it so we, the rest we, of it they designed they did fully we did it redid everything there wow so the way were the actors mic'd up then or were you just like, i had a mic'd? so i the craziest thing about this movie and and you know i i try not to talk about it too much but i actually did the sound for it too like so there was we had no crew it was just me there was no crew so it was just me and the actors because i just couldn't get people to to shoot because we had to shoot so many random days like tuesday night you know all over the place it was like the weirdest and it took like four months of just shooting in random days um so i actually had my rig and i had a, the, a boom pole like holding it on the rig you know what One i mean i had this band. crazy setup Jackson. where i'd hide the it was a one-man 
uh, crew. But you were holding the camera, <laughs> holding the camera, yeah, and yeah. holding and holding. I didn't room. get any photos behind the scenes because I actually was always a little conflicted. <laughs> yeah, no one's <laughs> yeah. them. And I was always conflicted about like pushing how much it was very so no crew because I was like I don't want people to not watch it thinking it that it's going to look that way when it doesn't. But thankfully we had them come in and we did some ADR in a lot of great places. You know there was not all of my dialogue I got, but majority I I pulled off. That's amazing. That's and, amazing. Uh, I would have. They, they did sound design it. and and and. Uh, thing and i had a great composer and we just the post-production was um fucking awesome and we were at paramount like i don't know 20 20 days just on the the studio where they did like avatar and like annihilation and i was just drinking soda drinking fucking like coconut waters and watching them mix it on the big screen it was the <laughs> shit man it was it was so cool that's cool so can i ask what so what was your budget then your shoot did yeah you we i mean budget, it or? was we got i we shot the whole thing for like 2600 bucks Wow. Yeah, but we but we got like That's probably incredible. I don't know hundred thousand dollars sound mix. So yeah, yeah. I don't know if you count <laughs> that. Yeah, like, you know, and, yeah, and also, yeah. you know, I, to be fair, you know, like I had all the actors and my buddy does drone and and, and equipment that I had amassed over the years, and all of that was free. Yeah, so it was it, like it's that weird thing where it was like it was an all in on my resources. So you know, so budget just went well, on locations and stuff. Then yeah, yeah, and you know, I just I, it's hard to really you know it's like I'd say twenty five hundred dollars, but really like if you count everything that i've used and in, in, to get to there you know what i mean yeah, like that yeah, wouldn't yeah, be the case for everybody a bit more yeah and that's the problem with it you know it's like the budget is like yeah you know like we've only spent that much but we got a lot of, i got a lot of favors and and uh, david steen who's a who's a friend of mine now from we worked on a film together you know he's been in django unchained with leo and he's in reservoir dogs mice and men he's worked you know he's a big character actor you know he's he's a buddy and future band yeah fe- he plays a future yeah, version. He's, future he, band, you yeah. know, he, he did me a solid, you know, it's like, but normally I'd never get away with shooting that kind of, and, but this movie, people just like love the, he just loved the pages and he's like, dude, let's do it. I love it. Like, it, and, and it just was one of those things where it's like, I got a lot of people to commit to like, Hey, let's make a movie. Let's just put it into the movie. And, and um, like, I could, could I pay you? Sure. But I'd rather put that money into like a little sound fee here or like, you know, things like that. Some VFX here and shit. The scene with him where the with the train, I was, that was like, a dope scene. Part a lot, a part of me was like, I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, how? How'd you get there? <laughs> ADR, yeah, we did some good ADR. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, like, if we see, and that's where, like, you know, I'm very, very lucky. If we didn't have ADR on a scene like that, you know, we had people, we were in there doing loop on the big stage that they do like Avatar and shit. Like, with we had like some of the greatest ADR guys. They had just done like annihilation and it was like you if you don't have that they, they make sure that the line is hit in the right tempo the timing so that when it's put there and they that, that there's no question that didn't come out of the actor's mouth versus going and doing that nice. in someone's garage man i, I would have been a mess yeah, yeah i can imagine probably made the the, the length of post-production massive as well. yeah, the post-production was took longer than the um than the shooting at this movie and um they're so they were so awesome i i can't say it enough and and did you have any because a lot of the scenes outside, at least, they're, they're taken out at night. So, like, a lot of, there's a lot of night filming there. Did you have any hassle over filming at night, on, especially out on the, like, because there's, like, a, not a 7-Eleven, but, like, there's a lot of, quite a lot of scenes that, you know, you move about at night and stuff. I knew the owner of the store, things like that. Oh, you so, know? like, you just, just literally just... I, just... I just used every resource I had, you know, and that was, that was the goal. I was like, I got to find a way to, like, make this world big enough. You know, I, I hate I hate movies that don't, 
like just repeat locations. That was the one thing I wasn't going to do. And just family friends let me their houses and, and shit. And just, you know, it was savage, man. It was savage making it, you know, it was a, it was a mission to make the movie, but it was, I'm, I'm trying to put together like a horror film right now. And we're like, all right, we're going to do this in three weeks. You know, we're, you know, like, we're going to not do what we did there. And like, it was so great because it was a once in a lifetime experience to make just that story. And to me, you, I couldn't make that movie another way. It needed to be shot over three months because I was rewriting it as we went and shot. You know, it was like this puzzle piece movie yeah, yeah. that I almost couldn't figure out while I was doing so it. So did it was the script almost, change? The script would change based off things where like basically I would look at scenes and I'd be like, oh my God, there's a better through line. It was a kind of a weird puzzle piece script where I knew the, the beginning and I knew the end. And I had a great, I had a script that, but the script kept adding weird scenes and things that would link. And it was like this unbelievable puzzle piece that was like cracked. Like, and, and that's why I really believe in trusting the process of like, you know, not sticking to like, I didn't shot list. I didn't do any of that stuff because I'm like, there's going to be things that change based off of moments to be had. And I think some people really thrive in the technical world. And I'm not one of those. I kind of thrive in like the drop me in and, and we're going to find the moment right now in 20 minutes like we're gonna find it you know so like it sounded like the script sort of was your shot list in a, in a way the script was my shot list and it's like i know what the like as long as i know what the point of every scene is i'm gonna know where to put the camera if you don't know your own material if you don't know what this point of this scene is like the scenes aren't in here for like you know laughing and comedy it's like there's a point to every scene and and how do i choose the angle or the the style or the the pace that captures whatever that so kind of it sounds like is. you're like yeah, a, um you're much more of a visual writer because like some writers are you know what i mean like some writers will literally direct on the page and some just will just kind of like yeah um won't have to do any of those camera ups and downs they'll just be like visual vi yeah you know what i mean like just visual i never used any of that stuff i don't do it i was always taught not to do it and um you know with no, all the no, insects no, no, no. I ever met, they, people just don't like doing that. Especially you know, if you're spec. writing for yourself yeah, yeah. and you have a budget, fine. But like, it's weird to like, you know, write to be, have like a career as a writer and then to try to be, you know, and, and focus on my directing. It's like, I got to now yeah, treat yeah. it like I'm the director who got this yeah, script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, I need to have that separation. You need to, you know, um, because then you're going to say, hey, look, this scene, while I wrote it with this in mind, like there's something else here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can do it. It's all, can, it can all be done. It's just kind of weird to compartmentalize in that way let's quickly chat about what's in the pipeline for you, you talked about uh this horror movie which you're writing and directing. yeah I'm, I'm writing something right now it's i, I don't want to say anything because i want to you know keep it hush but i'm trying to i'm i'm i'm, I'm aiming to follow up with a, a film that we kind of go and and take it to where i wanted to take it which is just having a bigger budget where we can you know do the full hour and a half kind of feature of you know yeah and when i say it's a horror movie it's like a spider horror movie not like you know what i mean like it'll still have the dna of of spiral and in that kind of way of i'm not interested in doing movies that are just pure genre movies like i like taking that mind-bending kind of cerebral like it has to be a, a message and a theme and it has to be about something human and some sort of human issue but i have a really cool instead of this being the drug trip like my my horror element is something that's like a lot more uh a lot bigger a lot more macro so I'm, I'm really excited and i'm working on that right now and um quick question on that one because a lot of, lately or maybe always i don't know horror films because they get uh they can get produced on a lower budget right but that's a lot of time that's because a couple of reasons one is the which is the big one is they use a single location mm -hmm. which obviously cuts down a lot of costs is that what you're aiming for with this film is is it a single location you know i'm i'm gonna minimize locations i'm not a big fan of one location stuff you know I just I think it's hard to 
be not it just it's very monotonous a lot of times um i mean 20 to me like you know one of my favorite one location horror movies is like saw yes you know yes but i'd so. argue in many ways that it's not one location like there's the detective running around the you've got all these yeah, things yeah, that yeah, pull. Yeah, of course yeah and so in a way it's like while it's a centralized location now that's different to me that's something that you can work with um but i kind of plan on doing something in that that minimalistic feeling, but just knowing that like I have um, a lot of fans from this movie who are basically giving me a lot of resources to effectively do it again, to do what I did again and just do it on a, on a bigger scale. And um, it's so interesting that, you know, right now with, with coronavirus and everything, you know, like I'm really taking my time. I'm not really trying to rush into it you know I think that's key yeah. what like i could finish the movie tomorrow it's like what would i do with it right now I, I, you know what i mean so in <laughs> nice. a way you want to ride that ride this wave out a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. I, I really do i really don't i'm not interested in having the movie ready to go right now because i just think that it's like we were talking about if i if i get my, my next opportunity and i put it into a vacuum well i'm going to be right back to where it that's was and, and that's building step, not the right? goal i want i want to get things to be seen you know um, so I've got that going, nice. and then I'm um, I'm working on a Christmas a Christmas well, thing. Um, hopefully, should be that's becoming it's uh, becoming your trademark. It's it's, <laughs> it's not for Hallmark. It's it's for um I actually can't say, but it's um something I'm really excited about, and uh, should be should be um should hear more news in, at the top of the the year, uh, 2021. Um, and it was something that was going on before uh, coronavirus, and we're getting momentum back. And then mouth to mouth, we were talking about so just. You know, I'm not so in and I'm not established in that way that like the coronavirus hit me harder than a lot of people who are really deep in who have, you know, who can bank on like having a movie like Pulp Fiction made or whatever, you know, it's like, I don't have those legs to stand on. So in a way, it's like, okay, I'm lucky if I can get and keep any of the projects momentums I had going. And that's okay. It's like, how do I find whatever that next opportunity is for where we're at now versus like where we were in, in you know, February. It's like, yeah, I had a fucking different game plan and, and the game plan has changed and um for everyone and you know, I've seen indie production companies that I was working with are yeah, yeah. out of business. They're dead. They're gone. You know? It's like it wasn't just like I lost my projects here and there. It's like they lost their whole business, you know? And and so, you know, people are a bit caught up in the rat race of like, you know, I need to get my movie sold. It's like you have to remind yourself there's a lot of companies that you love and who make movies and you're like i'm only working with this company who may not survive this next yeah. chapter you know it's just the truth like caa cut like 300 employees or something yeah, crazy you know that's true yeah so these kind of things affect everyone and so i, I you know what and i love you know being on the podcast with you guys today is just like we're we're all gotta find ways to be creative to talk about creative shit and and to you know also enjoy your life too you know like i just I love surfing and, and living, man. And so it's like movie. I love making movies, but when things when things dry up, you know, it's not doesn't doesn't phase me like some people do, where it's like, That's oh it. man, like my whole life's over. It's like, yeah, yeah, you gotta grab the surfboard <laughs> right and get bro. out of there and have a re yeah, man, have a reset. Fucking, you got to, you know, you gotta have like you do. You gotta have your beers, enjoy good cinema, enjoy your life, and 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 know that like the 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 writer and filmmaker lifestyle is is a roller coaster, and um, it's a great roller coaster, but. I got on it when I was young and uh, it was 
um, I thought that it never went down. And when I first started, man, I was like, oh, this shit's just fucking sick. I'm Peaks like, and never you know, ending. Like, I, 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 was, I did, man. I was in Canada and like I was at this coffee shop and they were like, we want you to sign your name on the wall. You wrote that movie they're shooting over there. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, giving me free food. And, the, and like the woman like set me up with her daughter. And I was like, this is the fuck. <laughs> this is the, this is the great. I, I chose the greatest career of all time. And then I just fucking went broke. Like I lost all my money. Like went back to LA. No one gave a shit. They're like, hey, welcome to LA. <laughs> you had a movie made. Oh my God. This is not um, a, a lifestyle or journey for the for people who have thin skin and who are like, just like, you know, waiting for that. Like once I get this one thing, then it, then everything will be okay. It's like a constant battle. And so I'm always preaching to people like, to find like grounding and balance in your life make movies make movies that you love give things shots write scripts try things throw darts and like just you know let it let it you know kind of fall off you when you miss you know it's just it's not it's not this like ladder climb of like now i got this and that you know that's just not the way you can approach it and 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 have happiness and, and joy and, and peace of mind you know speaking to you at least on uh, on this chat it's basically what's been like is the game at least the the whole filmmaking game is is all about you know just enjoying the ride it's going to be a long ride and you won't make it in the first five minutes the train stop is way further than yeah. that so you yeah. know just enjoy the ride and find things to do along the way you nailed it and isn't it crazy like some of the biggest writers of all time like got going in their 50s you know like um who's that charles uh, bukowski who yes, wrote all those great my, novels one of my favorites. Like, yeah dude he was a postman until 50 and it's yeah, like yeah. if you god forbid you have a career as big as him are if you're gonna wait and do nothing but try to make it in hollywood for the next 30 years of your life you're gonna be you are not gonna you're gonna be the most miserable fucking prick by the time you get there you know <laughs> like i don't want it <laughs> like <laughs> yeah you know and so it's like i just i love people who are just like taking creative risks everywhere trying new shit and just people who don't give up on their dreams but also understand that you got a course correct and i think coronavirus if anything has shown us all where it's like who would have thought that like this giant worldwide pandemic pandemic would come in and knock out you know there's a lot of people i know who they're like i'm gonna climb the ladder i'm gonna go into an agency and then this and become a manager and then then become producer and then write my own stuff and it's like i'm like okay that's a ladder but i i'm like i'm telling you there's no such thing as a ladder when it comes to like making it in the movie business like you can you can believe all you want that there's a set of rules to follow to become a writer or a filmmaker yeah but i think those that there aren't i think that you know, there's always going to be unknown variables. And then all those people I know got fired from who gets fired from an agency. It's like, no, you know what I mean? It's like they went the only safe part of Hollywood, which is going through the corporate way. And still a virus came in and knocked everyone down on their butts. No one knows. And there's no safe choices in this game of life. So it's like, go do it, do it the way you want to do. Like, so like with Spiral, I was like, you know what? I'm putting it on YouTube and maybe I suffer here and maybe I suffer there. But I look at this, I'm on the podcast talking about you guys and asking if Mike is real or not. So <laughs> some, some, some element about that is right. You know, like even in the smallest yeah. way, possible so well look man it sounds like you're on a on the on the right trajectory right now anyway and thank uh, you man you know we look forward to watching yeah man this was great thanks for having me on absolutely. guys it's been a pleasure dom and benny man come back yes absolutely <laughs> dude come back anytime we'll do a we'll do another debut film i would love to man and i'd love to talk more about tarkovsky you know i just i love i you know a lot of people don't want to get in how deep into like analyzing this the movies Literally and the stories what we do. Movies. Oh, we're all about that <laughs> we're all about that. i'm gonna need some beer for that though <laughs> we should definitely and when uh, when all this mess is over if you find yourself in the in the uk yeah man know. i'll be up there man it sounds great guys thanks for having me you too man you too enjoy your day <laughs> all right
brothers. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your nights, guys. Take it easy, bro. Thanks, dudes.